A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I'm here with my grinning grishas. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. Each week, we look at a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. This week on A Hero's Journey, we're discussing Shadow and Bone by Leigh Bardugo. This book follows Alina, first a map maker in the army, as she discovers that she has unknown powers as a grisha and as a special kind of grisha, a sun maker. Grisha are magic users in this world, and as a sunmaker, she has the power to potentially remove the fold, a dark place over the land that is filled with dangerous creatures that attack all those who cross it. Um, this is important as the fold splits her country into two pieces. She is taken onto the care of the Darkling, the leader of the Grishas and advisor to the king. And she begins to develop her powers, um, meeting several other Grisha uh, of similar and dissimilar types to her. Eventually, her childhood friend, Mal, re-enters her life, tracking a powerful stag that, once killed, can provide um, Alina with a amplifier to her powers, helping her defeat this fold. We have several revelations, including that the Darkling is, in fact, a villain and wants to, instead of destroying the fold, expand the fold to further his power and influence. Alina is forced to flee with Mal from the Darkling and is eventually able to escape onto a ship to a different country. And traveling by awesome land ship, we come to our departure from the ordinary world, where you realize that the world sucks and everyone wants to control you. Alina's journey in this book, I think, is to escape from the oppressive life she leads. So let's just get into that. Uh, for our call to adventure, when Alina enters the fold, her powers as a sunmaker Grisha are exposed, and um, this sets her off on her journey, taking her away from the oppressive life in the army as a map maker into a whole different world. But for a refusal of the call, Alina doesn't believe that she has the powers initially. It takes a lot to convince her uh, because she was tested when she was young. She suppressed the powers. We come to find out that she suppressed these powers and now she can't believe that they are actually hers and that she is this sun maker. Now for a mentor, I think that the book wants to make you think that the Darkling is the mentor from the very beginning. Um, and unfortunately, because he's evil, he doesn't fit our metric, but he, he does kind of take that place, showing her the magical world, introducing her to all these people and seemingly providing her with aid. Uh, I want to offer another character who I think fits our definition a little better. Um, Genya is another Grisha who works for the queen and 
she's the one that actually takes Alina on on the tour of the little palace. Um, she introduces her to some of the political figures. She gives her advice. And I think she just works better as a mentor, even though at the end she does still betray Alina. Uh, for a crossing of the threshold, I think that this is when Alina enters into the little palace and is introduced to all the Grisha for the first time. Um, and danger is shown here by needing to lock the door to her bedroom. She is threatened by other Grisha throughout her time there. They, they don't appear to like her because of her powers. And now for a belly of the whale, Alina goes before the king and shows him her powers, um, being able to call on them uh, um, with the aid of the Darkling. And she also accepts the kefta, which is a garment that is specifically designed for and notes the Grishas. Um, only Grishas can wear them there, and they set them apart from the rest of the population. So by accepting this kefta, uh, Alina is now fully in the world of the quest and can no longer turn back and try and suppress her powers. She's shown the king her powers and has accepted the garb of a Grisha. So I think your uh, adventure that you laid out here, while a tad vague, is something a little different than what we normally go with. So I, I think I'm fine with it. I'm not entirely sure she achieves this freedom from oppression, but I guess we'll find out here. Uh, for your call to adventure, I like it. I think you could have perhaps even have thrown it all the way back to her childhood, right, when they started the testing. Um because it seems like the, the beginning is an extended call, right? Where she's kind of learning to do other things instead of, of be this magic maker because she suppressed it. Um, do you feel like her time in the army, except as a catalyst to the, the discovery of that power, is a, is a useful experience for her in this journey or something that was just a distraction? Well, I think that it shows the oppressive nature of her life from the beginning, right? She's under control of the army. You are automatically enlisted in the army when you come of age and everything that she does is controlled. She didn't even get to pick her profession. As far as I could tell, she was just assigned to this map maker. Uh, but I do think it's interesting to consider um, the call coming much earlier without the time in the army and her time as an orphan though, Mal wouldn't have been as an important figure in her life. There's no way that he would have stayed as important to her if she had been taken to the Grisha immediately. Right, but I think it might work even better because right, one of the repressive forces in her life is herself. She represses her own powers for fear of losing Mal, effectively. Yes, yeah, she does. Um, that is a good point. I, I like how that's expressed in the book, by the way. She's like fatigued and tired, can't put on weight partially because it seems like partially because she's using some of her energy to suppress her powers. Yeah, it's kind of like she's given herself like like overactive immune system, constantly fighting her own magic. I, I think the only, uh, only other quibble I have anywhere in your departure, Alex, is uh, I definitely agree with you that the Darkling isn't the mentor and that Ganya makes up actually helps our main character but uh i mean you can't right i think you can be evil and be the mentor but the darkling doesn't do any actual mentoring even if he's evil right he doesn't help her at all i think 
that the Darkling kind of fits that mentor stereotype, right? When, when you first read it, you're like, oh, the mysterious magic man is clearly going to be the mentor. And when I was reading the book, this is my first time reading it, I marked the Darkling down in our note sheet. From that first scene where he kissed Alina, I was like, this is, this can't be the mentor. I, I wanted to switch it to Genya at that point. I think you're right in that he doesn't actually do a lot of mentoring, but that's a function of we can't know enough about the Darkling um, right. at the beginning. Yeah. Does it affect you a little bit? Uh, just because, again, while, I, while we agree that the mentor can ultimately do bad things, that Genya does betray Alina at least in the beginning, right? In the beginning? Not in the beginning. It's at the end where she betrays her. Um, and I think that's why she can be the mentor here, because she has good intentions towards Alina during this phase and pretty far yeah. into our initiation, even. Um, I think once Alina runs away from the Darkling, then Genya starts to not have good intentions towards her, or at least doesn't yeah. have good intentions. How aware was Genya of the uh, oncoming coup? I can't remember whether she's one of the ones that like knows well in advance that it's coming or if she's one of the ones that's like, pick a side. Um, I don't think we're explicitly told, but I think it was pretty well in advance because she was the one who helped deal with the queen. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. Outside of the fact that the Darkling is clearly evil, the Grisha that want to rebel, I kind of get it. <laughs> Elena goes from being treated like an object in the army to being treated by like an object belonging to the Darkling and the king thinks that she's an object that belongs to him. So she just becomes an object with magic powers now. It doesn't change that she's an object. To to reiterate what Jack was saying, I that was my primary problem with the mentor. If you've if you've eliminated the Darkling because of his you know eventual betrayal of the of the primary character then i feel like you have to do the same for genya because she worked i mean I, without any big spoilers she works for him well I, the darkling always had bad intentions towards alina he was always going to manipulate and use her whereas genya doesn't have that same thought right she has good intentions initially she wants to befriend alina she wants to help her and how do we know that shit just because a plot from a woman who worked for the Darkling. Because she expresses remorse for what she does um, in the book. This is going way far into this, but she expresses remorse for having betrayed Alina. And does receive forgiveness, I suppose. All right, well, I think uh, our refusal of the call uh, is apt. Uh, Jack seems happy with everything. The only thing that I also think might not be the best point here in the departure is... You see static? Uh, I can hear what sounds like somebody like rubbing like a pen across the surface or something, shifting a cup around. Stop. Yeah. Anyway, um, and that was me flipping book pages. Ah, okay. Heavy book. For the belly of the whale, um, you have the showing the gainer powers and accepting the kefta. She doesn't particularly, you know, jump into this with a with a gun ho. Uh, attitude, right? Even when accepting the Kefta from the Darkling, she refuses the the color and uh, uh, that was originally trying to be given to her because Darkling's like, oh, she's on my power level and I've kept this special color all to myself, but 
now I'm going to share it with you. And she says, no, I don't want to be special. Um, is by continuing to, even though she ha she's been forced, right, to accept certain things about herself, um, but not ex like, oh, I have to accept that I have magic, but I'm not going to accept that I'm super special, even amongst the people with magic. Does that, A, continue our refusal uh, longer into the book, and uh, or B, uh, transition into a temptress? Or C, make the belly of the whale less uh, impactful because she's really uh, not wanting to continue with this quest that you've laid her out on. Uh, Zach, I don't think that it's any of those. I think it might be an awareness of her situation. This might be showing her beginning to politic among the different factions of Grisha. If she accepts the black of the Darkling, she sets herself apart from everyone and has no opportunity to form friendships and alliances. But if she takes the blue color then she has a built-in community to go to, right? She does eventually develop friends among that group. There are two that she becomes friends with and talks to. So I think that her accepting the blue is maybe even uh, an extension of the belly rather than a detraction from it. So I guess the only thing I'm curious about is, I, I agree with you that it feels like it's the belly of the whale uh, in context for, right, like narrative flow, but with our specific focus on her escaping from oppression, why isn't it the moment that she chooses to leave the little palace, right? This is her embracing her Grisha-ness, but being a Grisha is just another form of being oppressed in this world, right? It's putting herself more under the thumb of the Darkling rather than the moment that she escapes later. So that's a really good question. Um, and I think that because of the way I've laid out this journey, escaping from oppressive lives, uh, we can view this in a couple different ways. And for Alina, entering into this position as a Grisha could be viewed as an escape from oppressive life into this more uh, free life. We know as readers, as people who have finished the books, that the Darkling is going to be manipulating her, and being a Grisha is just as oppressive as being in the army was, or um, as being an orphan and having other people looking after her was. But for her, she views becoming a Grisha as a freedom, right? She's developing her powers. She sees this as sees this as a life of luxury. She comments a couple times on the food that they eat and how. This is not peasant food. This is like amazing food. She could have viewed this as a freedom. You know, I had to go back and check her old notes, but I think uh, at least recently with uh, Before They're Hanged, we established that uh, our character's beliefs do matter somewhat. So I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. I feel like she does view it that way, even though it doesn't play out. And if that's how we're willing to gauge the story, I'm fine with that. But I, you know... I think it's a, I guess, a flavor fail. We're all a little biased because this fits in, right, like, book length-wise fits perfectly as the break into the second act. Yeah. Um, that's going to bring us to a close on a perfect departure. Uh, though, if you think we were wrong about the belly of the whale, you should reach out to us and let me know. Uh, you can hit us up at a hero's journey pod on facebook.com or at a underscore heroes underscore journey on Twitter, or hop on our Discord and talk to us directly. We love hearing from you guys.
learning to finally hone our art of shining light in people's faces, we come to our initiation and road of trials. Take it away, Alex. So our road of trials, um, as it often does, extends through most of the book here. Uh, so I think there are three distinct phases for Alina's growth in this book. Um, and the first is her time training with Bagra and Botkin um, and others in the little palace. So here she develops her powers as a sunmaker, but also her physical strength and prowess. Um, training with Botkin, you know, it, she builds her endurance and strength, um, learns some fighting skills and with Bagra, she learns how to control and use her Sunmaker powers to the best of her abilities. For our second trial, after leaving the little palace, she spends time with Mal tracking the stag. And here we see most of Alina's emotional growth. She learns how to share her feelings with and about Mal. Um, and really, she reconnects with her lifelong friend and they are able to express how important they are to each other. Uh, and finally, for the last road of trials, I think that this is the time after the Darkling has captured Elena, um, after her encounter with the stag, until she is finally freed from him. And here she learns about herself. She learns how, how much power she has and how she can really use her power. And I think that's expressed by the realization about the stag that I'll be discussing later. Uh, for a meeting with a higher power, I want to turn to Bagra here, the teacher uh, and amplifier, who gives Alina a lot of revelations about the Darkling and the Black Heretic, namely that they're the same person. And Bagra also provides Elena, Alina with a lot of gifts, allowing her to escape from the Darkling and speed on her way to a different country. Um, for Temptress, I think it's pretty clear to see that it's the brief flirts with romance and her longer belief in the Darkling as a good person, as someone who is trying to protect and save the kingdom. Now, obviously, we know this is wrong. The Darkling is super creepy from pretty much the beginning and turns out to be... Uh, power hungry and crazy. So I think this is a really good temptress. It, it doesn't stick around as long as some of these other ones. It in fact goes away with our meeting with the higher power, but uh, I think that is interesting in how strong it is for that beginning of the book. Uh, for Atonement with the Creator, I think that this is when Mal and Alina on a mountain talking about their history together, um, specifically talking about their history over a sweet roll. And they come to this decision that Mal will not let the Darkling capture her, but instead will kill her. Um, it doesn't. Because now that's worked out for every hero we've had recently that's made that deal. Yeah, it doesn't pan out, but I think that we can see this, um, this history together and uh, their feelings for each other allow us to be an atonement with a creator moment. Uh, for apotheosis, Elena realizes that refusing to kill the stag has in fact given her as much power over it as the Dark Link did by actually killing it. Uh, relating this back to the Road of Trials, 
in this step, she's learning that she has power over her own life, even if someone has apparent control over her, like the Darkling does. She is in control of her own life. She's given it to someone else in Mal, and the Darkling doesn't have control over her, just like the Darkling doesn't have total control over that amplifier. And for our ultimate boon, this is the escape from the Darkling when Alina does the sun cut and is able to save Mal from the creatures coming to kill them and escape through the unsee, through the fold from the Darkling. For the Road to Trials, you have what I think is somewhat interesting delineations, but I don't know if she achieves what you're wanting her to achieve by the end of each step. Um, the, what What is her goal? Just real quick for myself and for the readers, what's the thing she achieves at the end of each step? Yeah, so at the end of the first step, which is her training, um, she has better control over her powers and medical, better physical um, endurance and strength. From her time with Mal, she is able to express her feelings um, for and towards Mal um, and regains, rekindles that old friendship. And from her time with the Darkling, she realizes that she has control over her own life. Okay, so simplified, I think they, they do make a little more sense, but I'm still going to push back the first trial. I think the fact that she has, you know, control over things is a bit oversimplified, especially when we see her on the run with Mal in that second part. Um, she has to use her power not only frequently, but in ways that I don't think she necessarily wants to in order to keep them safe. We see that on multiple instances, muggers, creatures, etc. Um, which does show that she has the ability to use her powers, but I feel like if we had, you know, some of her physical prowess that we were, you know, supposedly building up in this like training montage, then either she would have been able to use that side of her training more if she was actually any good at it, or B, use her sun powers in a way that was a little more sophisticated than what we actually got. Yeah, I think that for that physical power, at least the training allows her to go from having no endurance and no strength to some. She's able to hike through the mountains, whereas before, um, I don't think Alina would have been able to as for her powers, I mean, she definitely has better control over them than when she started, right? She's able to use them in all of those instances to defend herself and Mal. Um, and I think she's definitely gained control over some of them. She can now summon them on her own. I don't think that she is at the peak of her powers, at least I hope not for the rest of the series, but she's definitely developed them. Do you think this time with Mal checking the stag, the fact that it starts off on such uneven footing and it takes so long for them to even figure out that they are, you know, developing a friendship one more once more is a boon or to the to the story and to this adventure or it detracts from it? Because I feel like they spent so long being at least somewhat adversarial to each other from as soon as they ran into each other and you know, they have the the letter argument all the way until, oh, um, you know, are you going to turn me in kind of thing? 
to you know actually be realizing that they've started to become friends again. I didn't necessarily get, at least in my read, that you know I kind of wanted like a buddy cop or you know best friends going on an adventure vibe, and it and it didn't it didn't meet that for me for you know what I would call the majority of it or even or, or even most of it. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird too. It does seem to take a while for them to fall back into this uh, routine where they are friends, which is a little weird for someone who you grew up with. And even though Alina says they drifted apart in the military, how long have they been in there? For like two two years versus, you know, 10 years as children. I think they would have fallen into this friendship a little quicker. Um, but I think the the feelings they have for each other confuse this too right alina doesn't be rejected so she's not she's not as willing to um you know give in to that friendship as she might be so one thing i want to push back and it ties in a little with your temptress is how have we delineated their uh friendship versus potential romantic uh inclinations and does it matter for the purposes of whether or not the temptress is successful and whether or not this is a successful trial? Um, I don't think that those are very related, to be honest. Um, the romance with the Darkling, that's definitely a temptress. Um, and, and I don't think that this romance she has with Mal, or it seems to be developing with Mal, takes away anything from that temptress because, like I said, uh, kind of uniquely, this temptress goes away fairly early after the meeting with the higher power, where Bagra says, you know, the Darkling is the black heretic, the Darkling created the fold, and he's trying to use you. Alina doesn't continue uh, on the side of romance, and after that is when she encounters Mal and has this trial that I'm describing. If, if we're crediting her for having escaped the ideas of romance, uh, I don't necessarily want to take it solely to the dark one, right? Because it seems like any romance is going to be distraction from her goal. Uh, and there is certainly an extended period with Mal where I was totally like, will they, won't they? And uh, uh, I just feel like we're, the, the trial could have easily been, oh, I want to, you know, develop a serious relationship with Mal uh, and therefore not meeting the trial as opposed to, Becoming better social with my long lost best pal. Right, but I think their explicit goal at the time is find the stag. And the trial I mean, is yes. like, right, but the whether it's romantic or not, it's finding their way back to not being so each fucking other. awkward with each other. Well, they're both still mad at each other, right? Like, that's their whole. Do we get they're, why they're the letters bad. never came? Yeah, because the Darkling had them. Was we'll destroying them, right? Okay, yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the point is that, when, like all good book characters, these people refuse to have like a single honest conversation with each other that <laughs> would clear all of this up. Uh, I've loved you for years. I kind of, oh, I also love you and realized it while you were gone. Oh, I wrote you every day. Oh, you didn't get my letters, probably because I was being manipulated. As joking and sarcastic as wherever we uh, cut that bit of my rant off. 
Right. I do think it demonstrates that we can call it ridiculous, but it is very much still a trial between her to try and repair that relationship. And it is vital to both the plot and her character development. All right. Well, that does neuter my argument a bit because I think the last one is perhaps the strongest of the three. Um, I think there's a, a definite um, growth and I think it's uh, probably the most trial of the activities. Um, I think this overall hunt for the stag has um, what I, what I wanted to have like an Arthurian kind of vibe to it, but it felt more just like two people who don't really get along super well, trying not to get caught by something. So it, I wanted this to be like a big actual hunt for this stag, And what it felt like was more like two refugees who uh, are just, or two uh, fugitives from the law. So, um, Yeah. But. I think that comes from it being just two people rather than like, if it had been Lord of the Rings style, they were out with a party. You'd probably got more mini like challenges rather than just Harry Potter book seven style lock right bottle episode scenes of our characters grumbling at each other <laughs> that's an interesting comparison yeah i can see that um on the temptress though which i know zach has flirted with uh going against i'm a little curious since her goal is to uh right just sort of escape oppression in general that why isn't the temptress doing exactly what she did why is it why is it not pursuing the stag, even though that's more likely to lead her back into this conflict rather than escaping it. We, we obviously know as people that it's the right thing to do to embrace her powers and save the world because she's the only one that can. But if her goal is technically just to be free, she immediately throws herself back into the line of danger. Well, that is true. She does go back into danger. But I don't think that she could really consider herself free if she has the power to defeat the fold and doesn't attempt to get it, one. And two, if she doesn't go after the stag, the Darkling will continue to hunt it. And now uh, we know that Mal is probably the only one right now who could track it. But there could be time later where another person can. Alina is going to have a long life. Um, and it's highly possible that she could be captured by the Dark One again. The Dark One could find another person to get the stag, and she would end up in a worse situation than if she were to go after the stag and hopefully get the amplifier for herself. But you've just told us that, you know, she, the, the whole point is that she gains power over the amplifier by not killing the stag, but you don't think, since that revelation comes to later, that it's impactful at this point? Well, I'm, I'm trying to argue that what Jack is saying is the Temptress is invalid. And this one, the romance, is a better Temptress. Yeah. And I have to agree based on the the way that you argued back, Alex, based on the information you have, that does make sense. I like your higher power. I think Bogger does a good job, although it does make me wonder why, if she's aware of all this and she's at that higher power level, is it the fact that it's her kid that she doesn't really do anything about it besides yes. that's like the whole thing, right? That's yeah. not me just being silly. It's like, Oh, nope. she, she, basically she basically exclusively says, I love my son, even though he's a monster. I want to help. Right. 
she's only helping Elena because she thinks that the Darkling getting what he wants would be bad for him. It's not because she for, okay. for him. Yeah. Yeah. And does that? And I agree with that. And that's what I wanted to bring up. Does that retract from the aid that's given? Right? Because that's of the why Bagra is not the mentor, and why she's the higher power. The selfish motives. Yep. She would. Honestly, I'm always a little confused why Bagra's answer to the problem isn't just to kill Elena. Oh okay, God. that is actually an interesting point because they always keep saying the sun wielder or the sun whatever she is. Um, yeah, sun summoner and not a sun summoner, which implies a singularity of the of the issue. And uh, yeah, that means if they just killed her, then that wouldn't be a problem, right? And that he's been waiting multiple lifetimes for her to exist. So, um, so it's it's implied that right, like just like the darkness is a known power, they know that this is a thing that can manifest. So even if you kill her, it might be another ten thousand, right, another thousand years, but somebody might be born with it. But it's it's very odd uh, because why she is the sun summoner is a it is a point of speculation that plays into the future narrative. So I don't want to talk about it too much. So you're with the atomic with your creator. I, f I know why you chose the moment, right? It's a very retrospective moment, but I don't know if it necessarily is the center point of the journey. Whereas I feel like that falls more squarely on the shoulders of the apotheosis in this book, or even the ultimate boon, right? It's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to do. I'm going to escape. Not, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I will kill myself if need be. So I think this is the center of the journey for that reason, right? From before this, she's been wondering what to do. How from to the before four times? Yes, from the before four times. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> it's a joke from Solar Opposites. I gathered. Okay. Um, and after this point, she's she's come to a decision. She's going to go get the stag and then escape from the dark lane. Right? And with that decision, she has to decide what to do if she's going to be captured again, right? And this discussion with Mal telling him, you know, you have to kill me. Um, I think that everything after that is related to this point, right? Even when Mal refuses to kill her and allows her to be captured again, it, it drags on her because of this point, right? She is concerned about what's going to happen because she already had this discussion and knows that there's no other solution um, except for a magical realization that she has at the end. There's no other solution to being captured by the Dark Link. Don't worry, guys. But you, you're, treating, you're treating, I, I guess, you and her... Or at least you are imparting upon her that the capture is inevitable in this instance. It is. Uh, but... <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a defeatist. Oh, whereas I feel like I, I would want a hero to be a tad more um, optimistic, might be the right word. Well, so what tears me on it is that I think Mal fits very well for the creator role, partially because of, right, she repressed her own powers just to try and stay in his life. But the center point of the 
like the action plot of the book for me, I think fits better in the scenes that come after that, where it's not the apotheosis, but where she makes that decision not to kill the stag. And then very quickly, the darkling shows up and captures her feels like the center point of the book. Yeah, the other thing I had down in our notes was just something with the Darkling could be someone with a crater, but I don't like the Darkling as a character, so I didn't want to talk about <laughs> it. But no, I, I think Mal definitely works better as a creator than the Darkling. Once again, I think that's sort of another thing where we're meant to question whether the Darkling is filling that role, and he certainly thinks he is. He thinks that they're, right, some sort of destined pair, but... We, Mal kind of acts as our explicit proof that that's not true. Zach, do you have anything else against it? Because I think, like, I think this is probably my weakest point that we've discussed so far. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I'm just trying to figure out. It didn't fit the vibe to me, and I'm trying to fit, say exactly why. I don't know if it's because Mal is the one that she's interacting with, and I've viewed Mal as this like potential romance partner, and what they're actually discussing is t is not what I want them to be discussing at this point in the book, um, on like an interpersonal level, even though it's important for the overall um, storyline. And hmm. like I wanted, it was it was supposed to be oh the role of their history together, yeah 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 oh okay realization that you know that they should be together kind of thing, not a Oh, our history together is is giving me strength, and that allows me for you me to ask you to kill me if you need to. Uh, That's does Mal hold the ultimate power in her life? Well, he uh, does literally hold the decision to kill her <laughs> if she gets uh, kidnapped. But I don't know if that is only because it's only because she has offered that to him and does not have that inherently, which I would say is not an ultimate power. Right. And our apotheosis leads us to the revelation that she actually does ultimately have the power in her life, partially right through, symbolized through her decision First not eight. to kill the stag. Uh, but at the point in time where the atonement creator is coming again, it does feel like we're meant to think the Darkling is the ultimate power in her life. So that's that's why I'm still leaning towards that second moment personally with the stag itself, even though I like Mal better. As the creator, I think that the Darkling definitely fulfills the creator role better than Mal, and even better than herself. But I feel like he is too contentious of a um, of a character. The Darkling to, is a bastard man. <laughs> to for you to have chosen him, right? Because it's oh, I'm the one who has caused all these problems at the end of the day and therefore it puts you entirely in the situation that you find yourself and the only reason that you continue to exist is because you escaped my clutches uh is certainly more than enough for me to qualify him in that position um and the the boy that you grew up with who uh you've been estranged from for quite some time apparently does not quite have the same pack it packs it doesn't quite pack the same punch yeah, I mean, I I quibbled over this point, but I ultimately am awarding it because I think that there is, between these two moments, definitely one. Uh, and the apotheosis and the ultimate boon are pretty straightforward. And pretty yeah, good I, I, we, could, we could spend some time on them. The only, the only thing to really talk about is that wouldn't you guys have liked a slightly better boon than escape 
Wouldn't you have yeah, liked like like a like a like yeah, but you could still have like a pot shot at the Darkling. So there is a question that he is dead. Like they think that he might be dead. Yeah. But they don't they don't actually believe that. I know. <laughs> I never believed that for a second because I know there are sequels, but they say maybe maybe he just died in there. Who knows? Yeah, yeah hopefully. Maybe, maybe we got lucky. That's going to bring us to a close on what is also a flawless initiation. Uh, Shadow and Bone is kind of hitting it out of the park on Alina being a Campbell hero, which I'm, I agree with now, obviously, as I'm judging, but probably not what I was expecting when I suggested we do this book for the podcast. I was expecting her to fail a lot more. Hiding from the shadows in every corner, we come to our return. So for a refusal of return, um, this is going to be kind of funny if you are, this is going to be kind of funny uh, from our previous discussion, but Alina's refusal of return is concerned for the people that she abandoned on the ship and then the thoughts that the Darkling might still be alive and was not, in fact, killed by the monsters in the fold. Um Shreds, well, we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. For a magical flight, I think that this is the flight across the fold. Um, it, it happens in kind of a time skip. It is magical. They are able to escape the monsters in the fold fairly easily. So it seems pretty magical to me. Uh, and for a rescue from without, Alina is now in the Black Kefta. Um, signaling that she is the Sunmaker on power level with the Darkling, and Mal is able to go into a city, Caravo, and find clothes for her and bring them back. For a crossing of their turn threshold, so changing into the street clothes symbolizes Alina leaving the oppressive world of the Grisha and entering into a new world uh, of her own making. For a master of two worlds, Alina keeps the collar that is the amplifier from the stag, symbolizing her control over the powers that she has gained as a sunmaker. And she also has Mal as a companion with her for the rest of her life, as far as I know. Uh, keep in mind, I haven't read any of the other books. Um, symbolizing her control over her personal life and her friendships. Um, and for her freedom to live, Alina has a nice scene where she burns the black kefta, symbolizing uh, freedom from the oppression of the Darkling, and therefore everything else that could be oppressing her, hopefully. So for our uh, refusal of the return, I think it's not... Again, we, we, we come into an instance I feel like the return is... is uh, abridged especially in the first book of of a ya series um the you've you've managed to put i guess a lot of meat onto what i think are fairly sparse bones um our refusal of the return does she really if she cared more about the people that she's abandoned then perhaps she wouldn't be on the course that she is currently set on a boat out to the back end of nowhere. Um, so I don't know if the concern is A, as great as you've, you've outlined, or uh, B, she's just powerless to do anything about, which would then 
detract from a later point in the step. So I kind of want to get your opinion on it. Well, I, I don't think the concern is as great as I want it to be. Um, it's like fleeting thoughts of, oh no, there were people on the ship. Yeah, and then it's obvious that the Darkling's alive and therefore, um, you know, even we, we've just had a whole book talking up how powerful and, 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 and the situation that they were in, he contrived to make happen, right? So I, I never felt like there was a chance and I don't think the characters honestly do either. I don't think that Mal's actions here, both in the rescue from without and the crossing the threshold, are quite as impactful as perhaps you, and it seems like Jack is ascribing to them. Um, it feels like she's doing a majority of the heavy listing in this uh, partnership at this stage, and uh, the the stealing of clothes uh, doesn't necessarily grant him some sort of rescuing uh, attributes. I'm pretty sure she could either A, just wear the clothes that she's wearing and accept the scrutiny uh, uh, or she, she could definitely not keep wearing the clothes she is wearing. Yeah, she's wearing she a black that's torn to shreds. Like, she can't get her own clothes, right? She can't go into the city. If she goes into the city and uses her powers, what's the point of changing clothes before she goes into the city? Part of what she can just go to a new city. Part of what they're doing is trying to hide the fact that she's passing through there at all, right? So Mal is only Mal is able to go to the city to get her clothes without her being found out, right? And that's important for her as she's trying to escape from the Darkling that we have said we know is alive. So it's important for her not to be sharing her location, even through the use of her powers. I guess I'm fine with it. I just feel like the heroine at this point is more than capable of doing these things on her own. Perhaps I'm overplaying her her abilities to live outside of her orphan army noble life. Yeah, I think a little bit. <laughs> I, I I think she's I think she's more lost than you're you're implying, Zach. So I guess the change in street clothes is the hey, I'm not. Uh, I'm not part of that life anymore, and I've I've, I've gone back to the people. Yes, like, symbolic. You know, I don't have a degree in symbology or anything, but I'm pretty sure taking off your special uniform and changing back into the anonymous peasant wear uh, it might mean something. So, for our master of two worlds, I don't know if Mal is a good enough world for our descriptor here, right? Actually, I don't mind the keeping of the collar, right? I think uh, that I do. She has no agency in keeping the collar. Really? It has no latch. She can't get rid of it. But she controls the collar, right? She wanted the collar. She just didn't want the Darkling to have control over it. So in her not killing the stag, holding the stag's life force, whatever it is that allows her to control the collar... I think that that works. I was going to say Mal, and it's one of my issues, one of my few issues with the book is that the pacing doesn't allow for that relationship to develop as much as I would have wanted. And then my problem is just with the with the caller that she's just, right, how, how is she gained mastery over a world that she's rejecting at the same time, right? She, or I guess she's both I rejecting a, it and still keeping a part of it. Well, I think there's a delineation between the world of the Grisha and her own abilities, right? Because the the Grisha is a specific 
culture based around the magics. And we've seen the at least hinting of the fact that not all of the worlds, not not worlds, not all of the countries of this world uh, treat their magic users in the same way. Therefore, I think you can delineate magic use from Grisha culture. And I think I'm willing to say that her keeping the callers, her accepting of her own abilities and her actually leaving the society is the rejection of the culture that they built, which I think is a good mastery. Okay. As, a, as opposed to Mal's, hey, remember we're friends and we're cool, right? So yeah, I guess we come down to the classic problem of it really just being a, a mastery of the one world. She hasn't uh, hasn't found her. We we know that the other world has something to do with Mao and what quote unquote normal life. As we were just talking about, normal life doesn't seem to be something she has mastered yet. She still very much needs Mao. And um, although we can disagree with how much she's embracing the collar because she physically can't take it off. I think that that, uh, you know, really does defeat the idea that there's any freedom to live. The Darkling is probably still out there. She's still very much bound to this problem, even though she's trying to escape it. Yeah, and all, you can just see by all the steps that she's taking in the return to avoid things that her life is obviously not free from, you know, consequences. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Mal, you know, you guys have said that he has to do all these things for her in both the rescue and the cross uh, and the and the crossing of the return threshold just proves that she. Well, no, the crossing of the return threshold is about her, Zach. Stop right. trying to make everything about the boys. <laughs> Let's hear it for the boys. That's going to bring us to a close on the return with a solid 50-50 split uh, with us earning those middle three points or Alex earning those middle three points. Zach and I didn't do shit. Uh, yeah, that's right. I earned their negativity. <laughs> uh, but that's going to bring us to a final score of 14 out of 17 with just really solid scoring for Alina and shadow and bone in general i i think it does a really good job of grounding us in these archetypes and as we've talked about with the darkling there is some level of genre subversion and sort of bait and switch going on but we still have these very solid moments which i think works quite well in a ya setting moving on to our final thoughts uh I obviously really like this book. I'm the one that suggested uh, put it on our list of books to do for the podcast. Uh, I'm excited to hear what my two co-hosts have to say about it because there's something very satisfying about being told you made a good selection, uh, waiting to hear that part, guess. Um, but I'm excited for the TV show that's coming out relatively soon. I think it'll be interesting to see this world visualized. And well, Alina's... Well, I think possibly differently from my co-host. Uh, I, well, I didn't, or I guess differently. You guys haven't said your thoughts yet. Um, and well, I think Alina's story is quite basic in the way that it plays into a lot of these tropes quite cleanly. I find the world itself really interesting. I loved the unsee as a concept. Uh, and I like all of the rural parallels. Uh, they help really give you an instant taste for the cultures and then diving into Russian culture, which is 
we've actually touched upon quite a bit with our book selection, but is normally less well explored in Western fiction. I think it's a lot of fun. And I'm also a really big fan of the way she expands this universe with her sequel series. So I'm kind of a sucker for all parts of it. Yeah, I also enjoyed this book. Um, I thought, kind of like Jack said, the world is interesting, and I'm interested especially in finding out more about it. Uh, they call the Grisha powers a small science, and I didn't really get a lot of that, and I think that that's something that could be built up um, in the following books, especially as Alina still has more of her powers to develop. Uh, the only complaint I really have about this book is the pacing. I thought some of the parts went very fast and I didn't have enough time to really enjoy them. Like I said, developing that relationship with Mal, it happened so fast. I, I didn't get time to really think about it and enjoy it. And the training sequences with Bagra and Botkin, I think took a little bit longer than they had to write. I, I understand she's training. I don't need to really dwell on exactly how she's training. See, that's interesting you say that uh, because overall, I also uh, enjoyed this series, or I guess enjoyed this book. We'll see how the series pans out. Um, also had problems with pacing. I didn't have a problem with the with the training montage because I felt like it did an okay job of developing her character and also the nobility kind of society that she found herself in and why it was important to escape it. But... I and because I, I kind of tie that whole time in with her time in the court in general. I f didn't necessarily like the pacing on the mountain stag hunt because I felt like certain things were emphasized to take too long, while the other things that I wanted to take a little less time were were fleshed out more. So, same problem with pacing, but just in a different section. Overall, I'm interested to see where the magic system goes. I. I've become a bit of a snob for magic systems, um, and I, I do blame Sanderson, which is not fair for a YA novel. I understand that. But at the same time, I want to learn some of the underlying forces of what makes these magickers magic. And um, I'm hoping that is explored in a deeper way, but would be understanding if it is not. Thank you so much for joining us. If you love a hero's journey as much as we do, don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from and hit whatever your subscribe button is in order to get notifications about new content. If you really love our work, you can always join our Patreon. Every dollar that you put in, give us, will go right back into improving this show and the content that we love to do. And if you're just looking for more of our sultry tones, you can always head on over to our Discord server where you'll find us talking about books and we also do a monthly live chat with our patrons. So more reasons to join, to sign up as always. I've been your host and judge Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And join us next week as we dive back into the world of Narnia with the silver chair. Yay. Oh, thank you. We talk about the book on topic here in this podcast. No, we don't. You liar. Um, <laughs> I have a degree in Wombology. <laughs> Wombo, Wombology, the study of Wombo.